probably as long as I, I can remember, um, when I think about my dad, I think about a camera being around his neck. Some of you have met my dad. If he were here tonight, um, I, I know that we would have had to talk him out of bringing his camera in with him. Um, he's always, uh, as long as I've known him, he's loved photography. And um, he's, not a, he's not a very tall man. He's only about this tall. Sometimes he'll walk around with a camera that has a lens that's almost as big as he is. And so, but what that meant for me um, growing up is that there were always, there were always cameras uh, around the house. And back in, you know, the early to mid-80s, the cameras were pretty heavy and they were pretty basic, um, very analog and they would not have things like automatic focus. And so I remember as a kid, um, I wasn't really supposed to touch the cameras, but I remember like loving to be able to grab a camera and look through the viewfinder and spend time trying to get it to focus. You know, some of y'all have experienced that, right? Um, those of you who don't just use um, an iPhone. And sometimes there would be like little mechanisms inside the lens that would help you, like two spheres that had to come together and line up. We've been working our way through Mark's gospel here at Grace and Peace over the last few months. And we've been asking a, a lot of questions that haven't always had really clear answers, right? Um, one of the questions that's been asked over and over again in this gospel is, is basically, who is Jesus? Who is he? What's he like? And if he is who Peter said he is, if he is the Christ and the Messiah, then what in the world does that actually mean? Because it doesn't seem to be lining up the way he's acting and what we thought the Christ was going to be and what his, his kingdom actually like. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that even upon hearing the passages that you've heard read tonight, I don't think it's a stretch to say that many of those questions begin to have some pretty brilliant answers the night before Jesus dies. That what before was kind of blurry, what was a little bit out of focus, really starts to come together and have some clarity. Because what Jesus has been saying over and over again is things like this, that the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first, and that the greatest in my kingdom, I, I am bringing and ushering in a kingdom, but the greatest in my kingdom is actually going to be the one who is the servant of all. And things like the Son of Man, even myself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself, my life, as a ransom for many. And, and, and for Jesus' followers, all of that had been sort of an abstraction. They just don't quite understand what he means. But I imagine that on this night, that they begin to see a little bit more clearly, that it starts to come into sharper focus. Because there's two things that we've heard tonight that are so contrasted, Right? that they're impossible to miss. And the two things are this, the abject failure of all of the disciples and the absolute devastating love of Jesus. And when you put them side by side, they both stand out more brilliantly, right? The, the failure of the disciples, all of them, 
And then the love of Jesus. And I want to think about that just for a minute. I imagine if, if, if they had still had any illusions, these disciples of, of greatness, that that was beginning to unravel at this moment. Because what's woven through this evening, through the readings that we've heard, is all of their failures being put on vivid display. And sadly, what's true for them is also true for us. The only way to fully grasp and to fully know and to fully answer those questions that we've been asking about Jesus and what he's come to do is for us to first come to the end of ourselves. And you and I both know that's a hard thing to do. What happens with the disciples on this last night? You remember just a few days ago, we talked about they came into Jerusalem with Jesus, and everyone is shouting, and everyone is singing, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the disciples are probably getting a little bit excited. But on this night, Jesus starts to talk about the one who is going to betray him. And things had, you know, progressed already during this week to where when Jesus asks, it makes this statement, somebody, one here tonight, even who dips their bread, is going to betray me. And they all look around and they say, is it, is it I? Is it me? Not, not too many days earlier, on several occasions that we've heard about so far, they've been asking questions like, who's the greatest among them, Right? Which one is the best disciple? They're wondering who's going to sit and arguing over who is going to sit on Jesus' right and on his left, but now they're wondering who would sell Jesus out. And as they look around later that night, as they watch Judas do that very thing for 30 pieces of silver, I imagine all of them were thinking, that could have been me. That could have been me. Jesus tells them right after that that they're all going to fall away, every last one of them. And of course, Peter pipes up like he normally does, and Peter says, not everyone is going to fall away because all of these losers might, but I'm not going to, right? Even if I have to go into the grave with you, even if I have to die with you, I will not go away, right? And they all said the same. And I wonder what it was like later that night for Peter as Jesus tells him, no, actually, Peter, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. And I wonder what it was like when those last words came off of his lips when he said, I don't even know him, how that felt. After Jesus serves them this supper, and Jesus kneels before them and washes their feet. He goes to a place called Gethsemane, and when he gets there, he falls down because he's exhausted and he's terrified, and he begins to pray, and he asks one thing of his disciples. You've followed me this far. One thing I ask of you, stay awake and watch. And he goes back three times, and they fall asleep Every single time. And then, at the very end, as he's being arrested, the last lines that were read to us tonight, 
is that they all took off, right? I mean, they ran as fast as they could away from Jesus because all of the answers that they had to those questions, all of those had been answered for them, and they were like, this, he must not be the one. And they all run away. Not one of them remained with Jesus. And it's against that, that backdrop of the disciples' frailty and the disciples' failures, every single last one of them, that Jesus' love shines so brilliantly on this last night. You can almost see the shock on the disciples' faces when, you know, they're getting to the point where they realize, we're not going to be sitting on thrones, are we? Right? And you can imagine the shock when there's nobody there to wash their feet before dinner and somebody had forgotten to arrange for a servant to come and do that and Jesus himself gets up and takes off his outer garment and ties a towel around his waist and takes a basin and gets down on the floor and begins to wash their feet. Of course, Peter again speaks up and he objects to this. You're not going to wash my feet. And yet Jesus says, no, no, if you want anything to do with me, I'm going to have to do that. He says, well, wash all of me. But I imagine that what's going through their heads is they're beginning to like look through that lens again and it's becoming more clear. And they, and they, they remember Jesus saying that he came not to be served, but to serve. And they're like, is this what it means? Is this what that looks like? And think about, his, think about his timing of all of this taking place is that this is all during the week of Passover. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but as they share this, this meal together and they pass around this bread, Jesus says these words that I imagine if they were eating the bread, they would have like started to choke a little bit. He says, this is my body. And it's given for you. And as they're, they're passing the cup around, it gets to the next person. And as they're drinking from it, Jesus says, this is my blood. It's poured out for many. And in each gospel, what we find is that there's no mention of a lamb at this meal. And it becomes more and more clear why. And I imagine their minds started to think about when they were first called and they remember John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they might have thought, Ah, oh, is that what it means? That this is his body and this is his blood. Is he the Lamb of God? Jesus is not coming, searching the world, and he said this very plainly, but it's still hard to get. He's not looking for the greatest. He came, he said, to seek and to save those who are lost, that he's looking for those who want and who need and are desperate for forgiveness. And here on his last night, it becomes crystal clear, right? And then the final act of Jesus' love on this night is simply to allow himself to be arrested. You can think about the power it takes 
to refrain, right? For Jesus who, who spoke the world into being, that Jesus who can call upon the powers of heaven, Jesus who can do whatever Jesus wants to do allows Judas to kiss his cheek and allows himself to be taken into custody. And Jesus himself said, no one takes my life away from me. I lay it down on my own accord. As Luke tells us, or as John tells us, he loves his own, he loves them to the very end, right? What does this mean, what does this mean for us tonight? Well, we're going to think about that over the next few days together tomorrow at Good Friday at noon. Come join us if you can. On Sunday morning, on Easter morning, as we think about Jesus conquering sin and death, but I just want to leave you like, with this one thought tonight. What is, what is all of that? What is the failure of the disciples um, pressed up against the love of Jesus? What does it mean for you tonight? Well, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, you've tasted of your own failure today. Maybe you've tasted of it in a way that is new over the past week. Maybe you've gotten older in the Christian life and you thought, I'm supposed to be getting better and better and better. Maybe you are so tired of yourself and your sin that when we get to that point where we pause in confession, you think, there's no way that I can even start because I don't even know where to start. We're only pausing for like 30 seconds and I need maybe 30 minutes. Maybe you started this journey towards Easter that we call Lent, and you thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny myself, and it lasted about two days. And then you tried again to deny yourself so that you could meditate on Jesus and lean upon him, and it lasted maybe another 48 hours. And you thought, maybe my ideas of my own greatness... <laughs> Maybe they were a little wrong-headed. If that's you, maybe it's not tonight, but I imagine for a lot of us, it is. And if that's you, look at how Jesus treats his disciples. Jesus is so gentle with them. Jesus moves towards these failures with love and he gets on the floor and he washes his feet, washes their feet, and then he serves them a meal that we're going to take tonight that he says, I, this is the way that I am the king. This is the way that I am the Christ. This is what I am like, is that I love you so much that I am giving my life for you. Friends, remember this. Every time we come to this table, that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he instituted this meal. It was on the night when all of the ones who had known him the best ran away and fled that Jesus got down on his knees and washed their feet. It was on that night when there was no one else who had stood by him that Jesus gives us the meal that we're going to take together. None of us are worthy of it.
That's the point. Jesus is the Lamb of God who is worthy, as we sang earlier. And he invites us now to his table. For those who call upon his name, not for those who have done it right, not for those who have visions of being great, but those who have tasted of their own weakness and frailty and who cry out for mercy. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this night for your son Jesus. We thank you that he invites people like us to come to his table, um, to taste of his mercy and his goodness. May we do that tonight together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.